Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigSceneDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. African-American quarterbacks are thriving in the National Football League the last couple of years, and it hasn't been that way. It's been a long, hard road to get there to some great people that have some great history. John Eisenberg has a new book out called Rocket Men, and he discusses the black quarterback's history all the way from the beginning. John's up in just a moment to tell us all about it. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome to another edition where we get to talk about some great football history. And we are really going to span the globe of professional football history today, a little bit of college too, but we're going to be covering over a hundred years of football history just in this one episode with an author that's been on before. We had him back in 2021 with his book, 10 Gallon Wars. His name is John Eisenberg, and he has a new book out that we're going to be talking about. John, welcome back to the pig pen. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me back. I enjoyed it last time. I, uh, I'm sure I'll enjoy it this time. Much appreciated. Yeah, this is another interesting subject that you talk about, and I'll let you introduce the title of the book and uh, where people can find it. We'll do it again near the end of the podcast. All right, great. Thank you. Yeah, the book is called Rocket Men. Uh, it's, uh, the subtitle is uh, The Black Quarterbacks Who Revolutionized Pro Football, uh, and it, it's just out. The publisher is Basic Books in New York, and uh, it can be bought anywhere. It's on Amazon. It's uh, any bricks and mortar bookstore, uh, Barnes and Noble, you name it, it can be ordered. It's wide distribution. So you can get it anywhere. Uh, it's, it's literally not even a week old at this point. So uh, just getting going. Yeah, uh, John, as we talked about uh, coming on, you know, I, I thank you and your uh, publicist for sending me a copy to get, prepare for this. Uh, and I got the book late last week and I was worried I wasn't going to get it read before we talked. And, uh, I got so engrossed in the book, it sort of took over my, my life. So that's a sign of a great book when one of those ones you just can't put down. And the subject matter is so deep and so enthralling and uh, so informative that uh, really did a nice job. What was sort of your um, your basis for writing about the subject? What, what sparked your interest on this? Well, the book is, it's the history of black quarterbacks, basically, in pro football, going back to the very beginning with Fritz Pollard. 
1920, going through the present, Super Bowl 57 with the two black starters. So it's uh, over 100 years of a story. And my impetus was uh, I, I started writing this book three years ago. I'm in Baltimore where Lamar Jackson landed. Uh, he certainly sort of it caught my eye because Lamar, as uh, when he was coming out and going to the pros, as uh, he got to the combine and a scout for the Chargers said to him, are you going to run the 40? Because I think you'd make a really good wide receiver in uh, the pros. And other people said things to him about playing other positions. And that's exactly what had happened to black quarterbacks going back decades. Uh, you know, the best black quarterbacks had to change positions. And uh, the reason why, you know, it's no secret, it was – you know, a lot of the scouts and coaches and the the, the the structure, the power structure in the NFL is white. And there was skepticism about black quarterbacks. Were they smart enough? You know, would they could they be good enough leaders? Uh, could they did they have the discipline? Just terrible sort of race denial by stereotyping, basically. And uh, so here's Lamar in 2018. Still, a, we've come a long way even then, but a vestige of it. And uh, he won't run. He doesn't run the 40. He gets drafted near the end of the first round as a quarterback. He wins the MVP award in the NFL in his second season. And it just struck me to say, how did we get here? How did we get that we're a century into pro football history and we're still dealing with this situation a little bit at the most glamorous position, the pivotal position in the sport? So I thought this is this is what I do. It's my 11th book. And I thought, you know, what I do is I pick a subject and I, it's a deep dive of research and interviews and just tell the story, find out what happened here. And so I think this one in particular, very important to shine a light on on what happened, because this did happen. There were years where black quarterbacks couldn't get on the field in the NFL. And uh, this is something that happened. I think it's especially important these days, you know, shine a light on it. Let everybody know this is the truth. This is what happened. And uh, it makes what's happening now, you can appreciate it that much more, uh, that uh, the guys that are going now uh, are standing on the shoulders of some guys who, who were real pioneers. And just tell that story. And uh, so three years later, here it is. Yeah, that's a, it's really a quite a remarkable work. When I first saw the title and uh, knew the book was coming, you know, I, I've read some other books that are on a similar subject, but none are in the detail of this and going into, I mean, you're, you're covering, I, I believe you have like 30 or 40 some quarterbacks you're talking about. Maybe my numbers are off on that. I have a enormously long list of quarterbacks, even some folks that I didn't know about. Uh, and I read quite a bit of football books. So I was quite interested with that and the detail you got into them. So the research must have been enormous. And I can understand why it took you three years. Yeah, I learned a lot. I mean, and I, I'm a student of history. I've written football history, but even still, I learned a lot. Uh, I started digging into the you know, you go back into the 50s and the 60s and some of these guys. Sandy Stevens is a story of a guy. I just didn't know that much about him. He never played in the NFL. Maybe that's why. And I'm just, I mean, he's a little, he played a little before I was really cognizant of things. And so his story just amazed me, you know, as a guy, first All-American uh, quarterback who's black. First one at the University of Minnesota. He wins the Rose Bowl, plays the Rose Bowl twice. Great college player. That's all you can say. Never played a down in the NFL and had to go to Canada to play quarterback. And uh, the Cleveland Browns drafted him, and they were pretty forward thinking on race. But 
they still were, were going to move him. And they didn't want him. They didn't want him playing quarterback. Paul Brown didn't. So that's just, and it broke his heart. And uh, it's just an amazing story to see how good a guy can be to not get a chance. And so I just love digging into stuff like that. And he passed away years ago. I couldn't interview him. He died in 2000. But just telling the story, it's it's a it's an amazing one, and I'm glad to bring it to uh, modern readers. Yeah, now, you know, being uh, somebody that reads a lot of books like myself, you did some pretty interesting literary uh, feats that you did here that really made the book even that much more interesting from looking at it from my my bookworm nerd hat and okay. my, my football historic thing. Uh, first of all, I loved how you sort of broke the book up in parts and chapters. So what was sort of your, your decision in doing that? And what's sort of that line of debarkation that separated the parts, I guess? Well, uh, I will say this, this is a book, as I said, I've written 11 of them. And this is one uh, that struck, uh, sometimes you start in the middle and go back to the beginning and tell the backstory and then move it forward. This one, uh, it's chronological. Uh, so it starts with Fritz Pollard, pretty much. And uh, the first one and just moves forward. So from that sense, I found it somewhat straightforward, fairly simple to just move forward. But I, you move it forward uh, just uh, first off with sort of uh, I wanted to tell the story. I thought it was really important. Aside from just the race and football, the evolution of the position and, and how quarterbacking changed, why it became so important. And 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 how how that led to black players being excluded from it. And so, you know, that that made sense because that happened in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. So you go from Fritz Pollard, the first guys to uh, the evolution of the position. And then suddenly you find yourself, uh, you know, in 1960 or so. And I just singled out the guys that I felt were really important and tell these stories. Uh, one after the other, moving it forward. Each one of them brought different things to the table. You know, Sandy Stevens or a story of Eldridge Dickey, another one, a first round draft pick, never played a down quarterback in the NFL. And so slowly but surely it moves forward. So I don't know. It made sense to me organically, you know, as a as a organizer of chapters, certainly wanted uh, individual guys to have their own chapter, Joe Gilliam in Pittsburgh, Eldridge Dickey, Oakland Raiders, unbelievable story. And uh, just one after the other. So as long as I picked the right guys, it just sort of moved forward. But you did something very interesting in the introduction, and it's something that resonated with me. You started it off by talking about James Harris of the Buffalo Bills in the 1960s, and you told his story, and then you came were coming back to him throughout the story. So we had a reference point. And it was that sort of uh, our barometer to take us through. Cause that's sort of how I took it. You know, you took sort of some a guy in the middle of maybe changes about to start happening and you reflect backwards and forwards from that. I, I found that extremely interesting too. Yes, that was uh, picking an introduction point, really important in a book. So people pick it up, they start reading, you know, they're standing in a store or whatever. Or they're looking at an excerpt online. You better, it better sing what, what's there at the very beginning. And so, yes, I, I just had an unbelievable interview with James Harris. Uh, um, he's just an amazing figure. He recounts his stories so well. And I really, that's one of the last things I wrote was the introduction. So I wrote most of the book 
and I just let it, as I said, three years. And I sort of sat there thinking, what is my introduction here? I just let it fester in my brain for a long time. And finally, it just struck me. I said, you know, his, his interview, what he went through is, is so emblematic of it and so poignant. And it's modern. It's not 19. I didn't want it to be. Uh, I didn't think writing about Patrick Mahomes in the introduction would be right or Fritz Pollard, you know, somewhere in the middle where where we're half a century into NFL football and there's still no black quarterbacks. That tells you a lot. And so he just seemed like an inflection point, James Harrison. So I settled on him and his story is so poignant that I thought, well, uh, I can do that and come back to it. So so that's what I did. I'm glad I'm glad you feel that it worked. A lot of thought went into it. Yeah, that, that's a, a player that played a little bit before my time, and I'm in my, my late 50s, and I, I don't remember James Harris playing, but I know the name. I've heard the name because I live in the Buffalo's market uh, here in western Pennsylvania, uh, and I have a lot of friends that are Buffalo Bills fans that are a little older than me that talk about him. But you just you told a story that I never really knew about him, and you basically are telling a lot about American culture and uh, the historic development of, of race uh, over the last hundred years too. It's, you know, it's one of those things they say how life imitates art or maybe art imitates life in this, this sense, but uh, really a great story uh, beyond football. I, th I think with just these gentlemen who each of them had their own story, but they had a similar uh, story in respect of they didn't get respect and they weren't able to play the position they wanted to. And that's to play the, the signal caller position, a quarterback. So I thought that was very interesting and uh, how, how the evolution of that went through. And you told the story so well. Yeah, what it is, it's a story about uh, the slow uh, development of black leadership in America and the willingness of white power structure to give it to black leaders willing and competent and qualified black leaders. It just didn't happen. Uh, to me, it resonates, uh, you know, outside of sports for sure. I always like my books to try to have some meaning beyond the, the playing field. This one was an easy one. I thought it was very clear because it mirrored other aspects of American society. Uh, you know, the first black CEO of a Fortune 500 company, that wasn't until the late 80s. Uh, first joint chiefs of staff was black, you know, in the military. Military wasn't integrated until after World War II and uh, the leadership. It was the late 80s. And so, you know, the law, you name it, uh, you know, there's also it's been very slow for uh, black leadership to be granted, which is what it was by uh, the white uh, power structure. And so it's, this is no different. This is the prominent position and the leadership position in football and uh, the unwillingness of, uh, you know, white decision makers to give it. And so, uh, you know, it's a story of opportunity more than anything else. I think it's, uh, you know, that's what they craved. The players was just the opportunity. I know I have the talent. And so, but it was just denial for so long. So, yeah, that's that's what it's a story about. And it, and, and it, it definitely uh, resonates in uh, other aspects of American society. We'll be back with more from this interview in just a moment right after this. Hey, during this break, I just wanted to share with you listeners, uh, you know, we have the Sports History Network Tailgate Fantasy Sports League going on, where we are inviting you, the listener, to come in and play with us. Uh, you would have really beat up on me pretty good this last week. I'm sort of the middle of the pack. My my Steelers suffered a big loss. Uh, nobody performed really all that well, except for T.J. Watt and 
I didn't have TJ Watt in that game. Uh, probably could have scored very well if I would have done that. But uh, you, know, you can come in and join us at tailgatefantasy.io backslash pound sign SHN or go to sportshistorynetwork.com and find our uh, tailgate fantasy sports uh, sports history network league there and join us and see if you can beat us because I'm coming back really strong next week and I think you better have your game on because my Steelers are going to be doing good and the players I picked will be a little bit of a surprise to you so join us uh, there at sportshistorynetwork.com This is Harv Aronson of the Total Sports Recall Podcast, your source for sports news and topics from a different angle. And you are listening to the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast. And now we return to our interview with our special guest. Uh, Some of these players like uh, Fritz Pollard, his story is a little bit more well-known, especially recently because he's he's got a little bit more publicity and everything. But there's some players that are sort of on the outskirts there that deserve a little bit more credit. And I'm so glad that you got to talk about them. I mean, uh, can you talk a little bit about a guy like Willie Thrower, who, you know, kind of an interesting time and uh, interesting player? Oh, Willie Thrower. uh, I mean, there were in the 50s. Uh, I, I write about the black quarterbacks who started games, but the few of them between Fritz Pollard in the in the 20s and then uh, Marlon Briscoe and James Harris in the 60s and 70s, a few guys got onto the field. They did somehow. And uh, Willie Thrower got onto the field. The Chicago Bears, George Hallis had had sort of an awakening. It's the best way I can describe it on race. Uh, they were not integrated until the 50s and the Bears and it's, that's when uh, black players were coming into the NFL, some good ones. And uh, I think Hallis started getting getting clobbered by some of these teams with black players. And he said, oh, you know, I think it's time. Uh, you know, I need, uh, he didn't mind integrating, and he did. And so he integrated at other positions. And then he had a quarterback. And there was no stigma attached at that point. There was no thought given. George Hallis, who basically ran the NFL, was the NFL uh, he, he didn't mind doing it. It's like, well, maybe he can play. Maybe he can have a thrower had been a good quarterback at Michigan state and, and, uh, could, could throw thrower could throw. Yeah. The yeah he, he had the perfect ever. name for a quarterback, right? <laughs> easiest joke ever fire for a writer. So, uh, so anyway, he put him in a game. He put him in a game. They were behind and, and he moved the balls. He moved the ball some and, and, uh, you know, he didn't do badly, but uh, it was a very brief moment. And, uh, you know, then he took him out right before uh, they were they were in the red zone. He took him out and that was the end of it. And, he, you know, he never played again, but he had been on the field. It did happen. There were pictures and it happened. And so, uh, you know, he only has his NFL, uh, I believe it was one game, a one game appearance was his career. It's like, you know, Moonlight Graham and Shoeless Joe, you know, what was in one <laughs> appearance, uh, you know, but he he played. And so there was a black quarterback. So he achieved a certain moment in history. And and he, he you know, he did say years later, I was kind of like Jackie Robinson. I mean, you know, Jackie Robinson was a Hall of Fame player, aside from being a historic figures. I don't know that Willie Thrower was a Hall of Fame player, but he did break the color line. And uh, it's an amazing little moment there. Yeah, it certainly is. And one that's almost uh, sort of a, a story that's very similar, but
But years later, and you alluded to it, it's uh, Joe Gilliam with the Steelers, which I'm a little bit familiar with. That's right when I started enjoying football, and I'm you know, I'm a Steelers fan. I can I can remember the hand Ratty and Bradshaw and, and Gilliam here very vaguely, but I didn't really know the whole story uh, that was going on there with the strike and everything. Uh, maybe you could tell Joe Gilliam's story a little bit. Oh, gosh, Joe Gilliam, unbelievable. Really sums it up in some respects. He comes out of an HBCU in uh, 1972. He's at Tennessee State. His dad is the defensive coordinator, a great coach, had been a college quarterback as well that, uh, you know, had to change positions and and had to leave a major college to go play the position at an HBCU. And, And so he was well coached, smart, big arm super talent so he goes in like the 11th round of you know the 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 Steelers who were very progressive about uh, drafting black players and that's why really why they won four Super Bowls uh in many respects they had uh, such talent um but uh, so they drafted him and he was so good they couldn't cut him uh, they already had Terry Bradshaw they had Terry Hanratty and he he sits for a couple of years and then uh, there's a strike in 1974 before the season and Bradshaw and Hanratty are are won't cross the picket line Joe Gilliam will and he starts practicing and playing through the preseason he's spectacular and so he wins the the strike ends Bradshaw comes back but Chuck Noll says that you know this is going to be the starter Joe so Joe starts the first six games the regular season the Steelers win four tie one. Uh, he has some huge games, some not quite as huge games, but they're winning. But uh, Noel benches him. Uh, it's not football was different then. It's not like today. There's not some offensive coordinator controlling everything. The, the quarterback called the plays. If you, hard to believe today, but mm-hmm. they, they gave them that. But so Joe Gilliam was out there throwing. And he loved, uh, and I think Noel was a little unsettled by that. There were also, I mean, Joe had some issues. He had some drug problems, and they were whispered about. His talent was not the question, but anyway, he was benched. Bradshaw comes back in, and they wind up winning a Super Bowl that year and winning four. And Joe Gilliam never starts another game. But Bradshaw did say it could have been him. It could have been Joe Gilliam. Those are two guys, Southerners from small colleges. They looked at each other in training camp. And we're like, wow. Uh, you know, Joe Gilliam, before he passed away, said, I know. I had never seen, he said, I'd never seen a white guy throw like Terry Bradshaw. And I know Terry Bradshaw had never seen a black guy throw like I could. And, uh, you know, Bradshaw agreed with that. He said, that guy was good. But he didn't play. He, once he was benched, and it's a key part of the black quarterback story, no second chance. Uh, you know, despite the fact that he'd, passed the ball over the field and clearly could move the ball in the NFL. And that was it. And so he wound up spiraling into drugs and he cleaned himself up, but then he, he passed away at age 50. It's an unbelievably sad story. And, uh, but you know, there's just no question that he had the talent to have an NFL career. Yeah, it was really interesting how the quotes that you used were a lot of them from Bradshaw in that, in that segment on Gilliam and Gilliam's comments that you had were both, they were so complimentary of each other. It didn't seem like a rivalry, you know, competing for the same job and, you know, for all the glory. These these guys, uh, I mean, I don't know if they were friends, but they definitely respect each other, like you alluded to a little bit in your story. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Bradshaw, you know, is always a, a great interview. And, uh, you know, you can pluck from other ones that he's had online and find them. And he's always talking. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Joe Gilliam is just one of those figures on the horizon of this story 
that shows you a lot. I mean, he, he was fortunate. I mean, you know, number one, the Steelers gave him a roster spot. Very seldom would that. And they didn't ask him to change positions. Unbelievable in 1972. That's how good he was. That more than anything tells you how good he was. It's like, this guy's quarterback. And we really don't have a spot for him, but we're going to keep him. He's that good. And then he winds up on the field. He plays and, you know, it just, it's just so dramatic. And he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated after his first start. The cover of Sports Illustrated back then, maybe the prime spotlight in American sports. And it said Pittsburgh's black quarterback. And it just brought the whole issue to the fore. And you can almost not believe uh, that, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it happened a long time ago. It's in the 70s, but it's not ancient history. It didn't happen. You know, it happened within my lifetime. And uh, this is stuff that was there. And that's what I mean, shining a light on this story and uh, making sure everybody understands that this is what happened to people. Yeah, uh, most definitely. Now, you started to get a little bit uh, of uh, progress uh, in the respect, you know, late 70s and the early 80s, uh, you know, Doug Williams uh, winning. And then something I learned there, I didn't realize that Joe Gibbs was uh, with Tampa Bay uh, when they drafted Doug Williams. And that's that was a connection to bring him to Washington. So I, I really learned something there, which uh, I probably should have knew, but I, I didn't. So I thought that was interesting. So he's the first one to win a Super Bowl. You know, then you have, you know, the Michael Vick, the first uh, quarterback to get selected number one overall in the NFL draft. Uh, McNair shares the MVP award and Cam Newton is the first to win it outright. And you go through this long list of Warren Moon first to go into Pro Football Hall of Fame. And that sort of takes us, these guys uh, really broke some barriers to take us to where we are in 2023. And these last couple of years have been really monumental for, for black quarterbacks. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Well, they have been monumental. Uh, certainly the Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts starting off the city each other, that got a lot of attention. First black matchup of black starting quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. That was a historic moment. Uh, and uh, uh, it was gratifying. to That was in the middle of this project. It was great to see Mahomes and Hurts both pay such homage to it and understanding of, of that they stand, stand on the shoulders of guys like Willie Thrower and and Moon and the guys that started close. They, they did understand that. Uh, it has been monumental. And uh, this past week, the week one in the NFL, I believe the NFL put out a, a release, 14 black starting quarterbacks. The NFL, the league is paying note to this. And uh, that is certainly, if you follow this story, uh, just an amazing thing. When Warren Moon signed with the Houston Oilers in 1984, there were none. There was zero. He was the first. I mean, he was, well, there had been others. But uh, it had been wiped clean. You know, there were none. So we've gone from zero uh, to where we are now. And it's great. Uh, I would say this, uh, the real change point. Uh, and there were many. You mentioned it. Michael Vick going first overall. That first generation, Doug Williams, Warren Moon and uh, Randall Cunningham. They were the ones that really showed all the sort of racist ideology that had existed. They were the ones that showed it's just wrong. I mean, you, we, we can play. We can win. We can take you to the playoffs. We can do a lot. And uh, and, and so, they did it with different styles, too. They weren't uh, mere images right. of each other. You know, they were they were great quarterbacks in their own respects. Own respect. To me, the biggest change point and where to get us to where we are now, I zero in on the years of 2011 and 12. The guys that came into the league, Cam Newton, this generation, Cam Newton and Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick in 2011 
Kaepernick, you know, as, as a young quarterback for my team, he, I thought he might be like the best thing I've ever seen uh, when he suddenly took on uh, that job in San Francisco and they unleashed him. He was amazing early in his career. And then uh, the next year, uh, Robert Griffin III and Russell Wilson, who immediately starts going to the Super Bowl. So you've got those four guys, that generation, they come into the league. And until that point, NFL teams and NFL football uh, they wanted a prototype. They wanted Peyton Manning. They, you know, that was the ideal—a white dropback quarterback, could change at the line of scrimmage, and you know, do all. You know, that, that's all they'd ever wanted, and it was almost held against you if you were mobile. You know, there were a few outliers like Vic along the way, but primarily they wanted that the the dropback passer. That generation of guys came in. They're so good. I think finally the NFL said, "We we have to have mobile. We have to we have to change what we do." We're going to ch- we're not going to make them change to fit our system. We're going to change our systems, the style of football, and we're going to open up the quarterback position more and let them be mobile and let them run these run pass options because they can throw, they can run, they can win, they can do everything. Let's let them be them. And so I think that's the moment where it starts really accelerating to the point where we are now, where almost every team it seems like has some some sort of mobility you know, the quarterback position, he's on the go, he's moving around. Uh, yeah, there's still plenty of dropback passers and they win Super Bowls. But but uh, 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 the position has changed fundamentally. And I think it's more exciting. But I think that's when you see it. 2011, 12, that's the group that changed pro football, in my, in my opinion. It, you know, it's it's interesting you say that because you made me start thinking as I was reading a book and just again now, you know, back when your kids and your your playing sandlot football usually your best athlete is going to be the quarterback because he can throw the ball he can run everything the nfl sort of shifted to this maybe perhaps some of the the lesser athletes on the teams or the quarterbacks uh standing in a pocket throwing you know a lot of them statues and not mobile at all and uh you know strong arms and and you know have you have to have smarts but now we've sort of gone back to the best athlete on the team is a quarterback again, probably where right. right where it belongs, I think. And we sometimes we understand things as children and we forget them as adults. <laughs> and I think that's sort of what happened with the NFL. And we're, our memories are starting to get uh, resurged. Yeah, a, a that's great, true. Great time. It's like the Sandlot all over again. Certainly, I don't know about you, but if I you know took one look at Cam Newton coming in, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell him you got to stay in the pocket. I don't think that's a good idea. You know, put the ball in your hands. You do what you want to do with it. Six six or whatever he was you know it's uh it was uh, just a different ball game and uh, yeah yeah let's let's just let the best athlete have the ball in his hands and see what happens yeah absolutely and then you know what a, a man like uh you know Mahomes is just uh uncanny I think he's an alien he just does everything yeah. right but you, then you have a style of like Jalen Hurts who you know it was just remarkable you know just uh the short yardage uh he, he can do go, go out of the pocket he can run i mean just a uh, phenomenal athletes and they're like i said it's uh just they each have their own respective talents and they get to showcase them and it's uh phenomenal what's what's happening so i think that's really great yeah. jalen hurts a second round draft pick by the way that uh, you know it tells you the little reflexes are saying why that guy didn't go in the first round very interesting but, uh, you know, you still see that to some degree. Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, where I am, barely in the first round. Uh, you know, it, it, you, it, it's changing. You know, this last draft, three out of the four top picks, black quarterbacks. And I think they're, 
I think maybe those cases are starting to show people, eh, you know, you maybe need to set the bar a little higher, you know, and, and understand that their skills can translate to the pros. And they're and, translating better to the pros for the reasons I said. And they're contributing early, almost immediate, you know, right. in some, some cases, which is uh, really phenomenal and great for the teams that they're selected on. Now, right. John, uh, we promised like we did at the, the beginning, we want to make sure that uh, people know where to get the book. So why don't you tell us again what the title of the book is and where folks can get it? Yes, the title is Rocket Men, the Black Quarterbacks Who Revolutionized Pro Football. And you can get it anywhere. It's a big distribution. It's on Amazon, uh, barnesandnoble.com. It's at a bricks and mortar bookstore. I've had people texting me saying, hey, I just bought your book in bookstore in Seattle. I'm in Baltimore. And, and, you know, they're all over the place. Texas, where I'm from originally. So people are finding it. It's out there. You can, you can get it anywhere. And it, it's a brilliant cover design. You got Warren Moon at the top. You got Mahomes at the bottom and the word Rocket Man right in between there. And I guess uh, I got to ask that question before we go here. What, what, where did the title Rocket Men come from? It's my decision on that. And I, I decided, I really thought about it a lot. It's a compliment. I decided, you know what, these guys, certainly the ones playing now, Patrick Mahomes, no one would say he isn't a Rocket Man or, or Lamar or, or these guys. But I, I think the guys that came before him, even some of the ones who didn't play, didn't get a chance. They were rocket men, too. You know, Marlon Briscoe, who had five stars for the Denver Broncos and lit it up and then was told he could never play quarterback again in the NFL. Uh, he was a rocket man. There's no doubt about it. So I, I decided to name it that as an homage to, to, to the guys that are getting to play and the guys that didn't get to play. Well, it, it certainly is. And John, you did a marvelous job at capturing these men's stories uh, over the last hundred years. Uh, I think Fritz Pollard, is, his story is as well told as Patrick Mahomes is. And uh, some of those stories are still being written on some of these men. And you did a great job on it. It's a great piece of football history, a great piece of football literature. I highly recommend it and uh, should be on everybody's bookshelf. And John, we really appreciate you for writing this book, Preserving the Football History, and for joining us today to talk about it. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Love coming on here. Uh, you know, it's always a pleasure, you know, and you know, you've read the book and I, I take your uh, I take your words as high praise. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, 
Here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.